welcome parents, friends, colleagues, and the class of 2022. Good evening again, and thank you for your understanding uh, of our need to adjust tonight's program. After seeing so many amazing colleagues uh, speak on the same event during my time in Mercersburg, it's humbling to be able to deliver this year's baccalaureate address, even if there was literally no other choice. While I was sitting at my desk yesterday afternoon, suddenly searching my mind for what I might want to say in tonight's ceremony, I found myself once again looking to the past to help guide me. First question I asked, and one I'm surprised I've never investigated before, is how did baccalaureate services even come to be? Well, according to the research by Columbia University, the baccalaureate service is believed to have originated at Oxford University in the year 1432. Each bachelor was required to deliver a sermon in Latin as part of his academic exercises. This historical practice continued with the earliest universities in Britain, which were primarily founded to educate ministers. It is from these beginnings that it derives its religious focus. All over time, it has grown, uh, and many institutions will look beyond its Christian roots to include more of an interfaith nature. Since I uh, just exhausted most of the Latin words I know, and considering that I was a religious studies major in college, I thought I might try to provide some important insights that I've gathered from the stories and from the texts that I've read over the years. For full disclosure, my attraction to religious studies was more out of a deep interest in trying to understand how world religions came to be. I was fascinated with the anthropological and sociological aspects of religion, spirituality, and formalized systems of faith. When I was younger, I would read all types of books related to spirituality, philosophy, self-help, and religion. I was constantly searching for guidance, for meaning, and for answers. As was often the case, I emerged with more questions, something I eventually became more comfortable with the older I got. I've come to the conclusion that there is a certain ego we can possess as humans where we continue to fool ourselves into believing that we can somehow know all there is to know, or that we can find a suitable answer to every question that we ask. I suppose this is part of the human condition, and why faith Something that, to be honest, has at times been elusive for me. It's such an important part of our existence. While I do not have all the answers, or even many of the answers, I would like to think that all of my exploring and worrying and wondering has yielded some valuable insights. So tonight I'd like to share with you the lessons that have guided me along my path, in the hope that at least one of them will provide you with the needed element of clarity, understanding, or sense of faith in yourself or others, or just in the world in which we share. So lesson one, do without doing. The Tao of Pooh is a book by Benjamin Hoff that I read when I was a kid. It was written to deliver Taoist principles in a more accessible way. In this case, through the eyes of A.A. Mellon's beloved character, Winnie the Pooh. The lessons in this book, you didn't think I'd go to Winnie the Pooh, but I did. I told you guys this morning I would. The lessons in the book are many, and they draw from important Taoist texts, such as Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching and the teachings of the Chinese philosopher Zhuang Zhe. At one point in the book, the author attempts to explain the Taoist idea of Wu Wei, which is the concept of non-action, or doing without doing. For the sake of the story, it is what he calls the Pu Wei. The example that has stuck with me over the course of my life is, one of, is the one of Pu and his best friend Piglet, and their other friend Tigger trying to open a jar. The lid on the jar is stuck, gasped Piglet. Yes, it is, isn't it? Here, Pu, you open it. Pop. Thanks, Pooh, said Piglet. Nothing really, said Pooh. How did you get that lid off? said Tigger. It's easy, said Pooh. You just twist on it like this until you can't twist any harder. Then you take a deep breath. And as you let it out, twist. That's all. 
Let me try that, yelled Tigger, bouncing into the kitchen. Where's that new jar of pickles? Ah, here it is. Tigger, began Piglet nervously. I don't think you'd better crash. Tigger began, uh, all right, Tigger, I said, get those pickles off the floor. Slipped out my paw, explained Tigger. He just tried too hard, said Pooh. Often when you try too hard, it doesn't work. According to Hoff, when you work with Wu Wei, you put the round pegs in the round holes and the square pegs in the square holes. No stress, no struggle. Egotistical desire tries to force the round peg into the square hole and the square peg into the round hole. Cleverness tries to devise craftier ways of making the peg fit where they don't belong. Knowledge tries to find out why round pegs don't fit in square holes. Wu Wei doesn't try. It doesn't think about it, it just does. And when it does, it doesn't appear to be much of anything that things get done. Do without doing it. Lesson two, iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. Lesson two is from the Old Testament and comes from a more recent, perhaps more relevant experience. Soon after I took over coaching the boys' soccer team at Mercersburg, I came upon a piece of scripture from the Old Testament that immediately and deeply resonated with me. Iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another, Proverbs 27, 17. Up to that point, I had always assumed that the development and the growth of the players I coached was my responsibility, mine alone, that I was somehow the only one that could make them better. To be honest, saying that out loud now feels a little foolish. While I was, it was indeed my job, I was wrong to think that there was any way that it was something that only I could do. In fact, I actually came to realize that there were very real limits to how much I could sharpen and shape the boys I worked with. If you do a little research, you'll find that iron blades were indeed sharpened and reshaped by other iron tools during the Iron Age, which is the time in which this verse was written. The same two blades, however, would not be used to sharpen one another. The tools needed to have different edges, different textures, just like the many different players and coaches that made up the teams I was leading. The members of those teams were like unique iron tools, everyone bringing a different texture or edge to the table, and each one playing a critical role in sharpening and shaping the person next to them. Our adoption of this verse is our team motto, or what we would simply call ISI, served as a daily reminder for both boys and for me that it was all of our jobs, all of our responsibility, to push each other to be better each day, to sharpen and to shape one another. Lesson three, the story of the two roles. The story is said to have come from either the Cherokee or the Lenape Nation, with the Lenape having once inhabited this very valley. It features two characters, a grandfather and a grandson. The grandfather is sitting with his grandson and begins to tell him a story. I have a fight going on within me, the old man said. It's a fight taking place between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, Self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The grandfather looked at his grandson and went on. The other wolf embodies positive emotions. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, generosity, empathy, truth, compassion, and faith. Both wolves are fighting to the death. This same fight is going on within you within everyone. The grandson took a moment to reflect on what his grandfather had just told him. At last, he looked up and asked, but grandfather, which wolf will win? The old man gave a simple reply, the one you feed. 
Lesson four, there is love in friendship. There are two major Sanskrit epics in ancient India, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, which are similar to the Greek poems, the Odyssey and the Iliad. The Mahabharata, written by Rishi Vyasa, is known to be the longest poem ever written, which is roughly 10 times the length of the Odyssey and the Iliad combined. To put it in perspective, I have been listening to it for well over 20 hours, and I am still going strong. It's the story of the struggle between two groups of cousins as they wage war for control over the throne of Hastinapura. One of the central characters is the well-known deity Krishna, who is worshipped as the eighth incarnation of the Hindu god Vishnu. Lord Krishna had an old friend, whose name is Sudama. Despite their differences in socioeconomic status, they were educated in the same way. One day, when they were both collecting wood in the forest for their jobs for school, Krishna grew hungry and asked Sudama if he had anything to eat. Sudama, recognizing that Krishna, uh, Krishna was indeed hungry, offered him what little he did have, which was only some puffed rice. Krishna was appreciative and even remarked that puffed rice was his favorite. The two became close friends, but as they grew older, Krishna became a powerful part of the ruling family, while Sudama remained a poor and humble villager and soon they went their separate ways. Sudama fell on such hard times that at one point he did not even have enough food to feed his wife and children. Despite his strong childhood relationship with the wealthy and powerful Krishna, he refused to ask his old friend for help. One day, Krishna visited Sudama. Sudama was so ashamed of his home and of his poverty that he did not even invite Krishna inside. When Krishna teasingly asked him why he did not provide him with a snack, as is the tradition with any guests, Sudama was embarrassed. He went into his home, and remembering their time together in the forest as children, he brought out all that he had left, which happened to once again be a few grains of puffed rice. Krishna was pleased with his meal, and after he finished, he thanked Sudama and went on his way. When Sudama returned home, he found that it had been transformed into a beautiful palace, and his family was draped in extravagant robes. With more puffed rice in hand, Sudama returned to Krishna and asked him for an explanation. Krishna treated him like royalty. And at this, Sudama became overwhelmed and began to cry. Krishna turned to Sudama, to Sudama and said, There is love in friendship. Friendship is greater than life. The one who wins the heart of a friend has won the world. Final lesson, lesson five. There are no ordinary moments. Lesson 5 comes from a spiritual self-help book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. It's a book that I read when I was uh, maybe in middle school. It's about a story of a popular top gymnast in the 1960s at Cal Berkeley who appears to have an idyllic life, destined for great success by all contemporary measurements. Unfortunately, the character, also named Dan, develops a deep sense of emptiness despite his many achievements and accolades. He begins to have nightmares and a growing sense of dread about his own mortality, leading him to question everything. In his dreams, he also sees an old, long, gray-haired man that he eventually sets out to find in real life. Not surprisingly, Dan encounters the man from his dreams working at a gas station. And after some convincing, Dan concedes to be the disciple of the old man he begins to refer to as Socrates. Through a series of conversations, lectures, and tasks, Socrates attempts to teach Dan how to find true satisfaction in life. At one point in the story, Socrates tells Dan to sit on a large flat stone behind the gas station and to remain there until he has something of value to share with him. 
Dan is confused, but retreats to the rock and sits in meditation for hours. Over and over he returns to the old man to share a revelation, and each time Socrates thanks him and sends him back to the stone to keep thinking. After many hours, it finally hits Dan and he gets up, walking with stiff and sore legs back to the gas station and says to Socrates, there are no ordinary moments. What he comes to learn from his teacher is that the mind is the ultimate source of dissatisfaction, and our persistent attempts to decipher the meaning of life can only result in unhappiness. At the heart of Socrates' lesson is the idea that the key to true freedom is learning to live in the moment and to accept things as they are. This is a lesson not just about cherishing the moment, but it is also about being attuned to today. It is about the willingness to live fully and to give your complete attention to the moment you are in. So, when you find yourself experiencing resistance in life, when you feel like a task or obstacle is impossible to tackle, perhaps you can remember our friend Winnie the Pooh, or the river that carves through a mountain by moving around and with the rocks and obstacles in its way by seeking to channel Wu Wei and trying to flow with the world, not against it. Do without doing. As you reflect on your Mercersburg experience and on the people sitting next to you, in front of you and behind you, take a moment to recognize how they, as fellow pieces of iron, have sharpened and shaped you as you have shaped and sharpened them. When your heart is troubled, or when doubt and temptation are near, hopefully you will hear the wise words of the grandfather and the story of the two wolves wrestling inside you. Both are loud, hungry, and persuasive. One pulling you toward happiness and contentment, and the other toward darkness and despair. Never forget that you always have a choice in which one you decide to feed. Tonight and tomorrow as you, the class of 2022, get ready to say your goodbyes to the many people that you have met and shared this experience with over the last one, two, three, or four years, I hope you will see that one of the greatest gifts you could receive has already been given. There is love and friendship. Friendship is greater than life. The one who wins the heart of a friend has won the world. And lastly, after all you have been through, it could be easy to overlook this moment and focus instead on tomorrow and all the future has in store for you. But what a mistake that would be. Not only are there no ordinary moments, but this moment is entirely yours. See it, hold it, cherish it. We love you, we will miss you, but your home will always be here.